So glad that you joined us today. I hope you have your Bible. You can turn it on. I'm excited about continuing on in our series, the Unstoppable series that we're going through the book of Acts together. And uh, I want to share with you an experience that I had when I was a teenager, and I'm not sure how I deserve this, but I attended a Renaissance fair. Don't judge me. Um, But uh, I attended a Renaissance fair, and there was a man that was there that was a professional potter, and he had a foot pedal, and he was creating these vases out of rough, rough pottery. And it was, it was incredible what he was doing. In fact, I joined a crowd that was surrounding him, just thought this was an awesome thing. And at one moment, he stops and he points right at me and he says, oh, so you think you could do better? And I'm like looking around like, what do you mean, you know? And so he, he takes me and he straps this leather apron on me and he sits me down on his stool and he gives me this raw clump of clay. Now, uh, I have no experience in this area, and so what I proceed to do is just ugly. It's messy, it's gross, and uh, and, and it's a, I mean, you couldn't drink out of this. It could not hold flowers. You understand, right? You guys get the picture? And then at some moment, I think he just decided that he was going to put me out of my pain, and he grabbed this metal, this sheet of metal, and he stuck it right on top of my piece of art, and then he proceeds to take a fresh pile of clay, and he molds this beautiful vase. And and, and at that moment in my history, that phrase, oh, so you think you can do better, is something that stands out to me when I read a verse in God's word that says, he is the potter and I am the clay. And this morning, I want to challenge you, encourage you. I hope that you're encouraged this morning by the fact that the Lord has promised us that he is at work in our lives, that he's working to bring himself glory. He's working to to teach us what it means to be Christ followers. And that when we think of this idea of sanctification's great theological word, maybe it means something to you. But the idea of progressive sanctification is that God is at work in your life working to make you look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that gives me great encouragement, that I am a work in progress, that God is working in my life in such a way that he's trying to bring glory and honor to himself. Today, what we're going to see in the book of Acts is several points that are going to flow out of individuals that chose to allow God to be at work in their life. I know this about clay, right? The clay doesn't look up at the potter and say, you're doing a bad job, right? Hey, pick it up. Let's go. Actually, it's all in the hands of the potter. And there's two verses that stand out to me that that just remind me of this. I quoted it earlier, but one of them is Isaiah 64, 8. It says, but now... Oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are the work of your hands. Do do you believe in your heart that God is working in your life? That he's creating a masterpiece through your story to bring himself glory and honor. If you know me, you know I love Philippians 1.6. It says, be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That encourages me so much because it says he is willing to continue a work and progress in my life to bring himself glory and honor. Now, we need to hear this truth this morning. I think we need to see it as we study the life of the Apostle Paul and the early disciples that that God proved himself 
faithful. And and the first point this morning that's going to flow out of God's word is God's work in your life is an active process. That this is not a stagnant process. This isn't a silent process. This is God moving in our lives. And and I love this this artistic image of God reaching towards us and us reaching towards God and, and us joining in. So he's actively at work in us. He promises us that he's molding us into his image. But we also recognize that there's a role that you and I have to play in that process. I love God's word. I'm so grateful for the book of Acts. I think you're going to be encouraged as we study Acts chapter 18. We're going to pick up in verse 18 as we see Paul wrap up his second missionary journey and then to be prepared for this, this third missionary journey. And, and what we see happen here at the beginning is, is God's continuing to move and to work through these people whose lives have been disrupted. The plan was not on schedule. That, that things were happening in a way that you could have stood back. Uh, the two names, this, this Aquila and Priscilla, when we read their names, remember they were, were sent away from, from Italy. They were sent away. They were refugees. They'd been kicked out of their, their homes, probably their jobs. And, and you just hear their names and you just think, wouldn't they be so discouraged? But instead, what we see is that they're tools in the mighty hand of God, that he continues to work in and through them. And God's going to use them as ambassadors for a message of hope to even be a tool in God's hand to continue to bless and protect and to push on one of the early church leaders. We see this beginning in verse 18. It says, after this, Paul stayed many days longer. That's in Corinth. Corinth, he's, he's standing up to, for the gospel in a place that was very difficult to, to represent the name of Christ. And he did so for several years. And then he took leave of the brothers, the believers that were there, and he set sail for Syria. And with him came Priscilla and Aquila, his co-workers, his friends on a journey. He I love the fact that the Apostle Paul is almost always described as being in collaborative ministry. So when Dan and Lauren invite you to join us, that, that call is what church is all about. It was, it was great. Uh, Mary Stokes, my, my friend, we just love her family so much. This morning, she said, I didn't know if I felt the energy to come to church this morning. She just recently had surgery, but she said, but I knew that I needed to be in the, with the family of God. And there's no place that you'd rather be, right, Mary? Do you agree with me on that? Um, maybe next to your awesome husband, right? But we see the, the, the Lord has called us to be people who are in community, collaborating together to be a part of something that's so much more than just a building or a religious practice. But here, what it says here is that Paul, again, is collaborating with these individuals. And, th- and we see this, this thing that, that's a little bit peculiar in the text. It says this uh, in verse 18 towards the end. It says, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. This was a public indication that Paul was making of some kind of private commitment. And I want to talk to you for a second about what we consider spiritual disciplines, those things that we commit ourselves to, like like prayer and for fasting, studying God's word, taking time away to be silent before the Lord, listening to his voice. Uh, These are personal things. We don't know completely why the Apostle Paul took this vow or what this vow meant. In fact, it's important for us to just understand that we get this hint into the fact that the Apostle Paul took very seriously his faith. 
that, that he was willing to obey the Lord in this step of obedience. And, and it's interesting biblically in the New Testament when it talks about things like fasting, that it talks about it from the terms of when you fast. And it says when you fast, it says clean your body up. Don't, don't act like you're hungry. Don't, don't do it for show. But, but it doesn't mean that we ought not to be people who take seriously our faith. I, I think of the idea biblically of us reaping what we sow that's held in Galatians chapter 6. It, that, that we're sowing something, that we're producing something in our life. And, and if you want to see more God in your life, then it's appropriate, wise, necessary for us to be people who take deliberately our role in understanding our God, submitting to his leadership in our lives. Often these disciplines represent addition by subtraction. I'm going to choose not to eat this day, to t focus in on prayer, to depend on the Lord. I'm going to choose to take time away from technology or the news or things that might be distractions in my life in order to say, Lord, what do you want to do? I don't believe this was a legalistic attempt to, to garner God's favor or to one-up someone else. This was just an attempt to understand his God. So we see Paul doing this. And then in verse 7, it goes on to say, do not be deceived. Or, I'm sorry, we see this in Galatians 6, 7, and I want to read this. It's important. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will one also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in its due season we will reap if we do not give up. What a great passage of scripture. Don't give up. Keep it up. Keep working. Have you guys noticed that it's that time of year uh, that that the farmers are reaping their harvest right now, sometimes 24 hours a day, I think because of the recent frost. It's, it's amazing how many farms they're, they're harvesting right now. And a farmer doesn't just walk out to their field each year and say, oh, I wonder what's going to grow out there, right? But they are intentional about making it possible to grow exactly what they want to grow. And so for you and I, when we look at our faith, when we look at growing in our faith, that this is not intended to be a passive process or that someone else does this. You can't subsidize this. But this is something where you individually, personally say, I'm going to commit to this. It's like any relationship, by the way. When you think about, for those of you who are married, when you first dated, it was easy to desire and to make space to spend time together, right? And then over time, Allie and I are about to celebrate our 20th anniversary. It's awesome for me. I'm so, so thankful. I love to say the truth. And that's the best decision I ever made in my life other than accepting Christ was to marry Allie. But I promise you, after 20 years, three daughters later, that we have to be deliberate about maintaining the intimacy of our relationship. And that rule applies as well to our relationship with the Lord. We have to make space for it. It has to be a priority. And I hear pastorally sometimes people complain about not hearing the voice of God. And I can't help but wonder if the Apostle Paul's example here, I'm not saying go shave your head, but <laughs> some of you might want to, I don't know. Um, but I'm not saying go shave your head, but what I'm saying is do what it takes to understand and listen to the voice of God in your life. This leads us to, um, to the second point this morning, and that is God's work in our life is a work in progress. I love the fact that God sees our potential, that he's chiseling away with us. There's this concept 
called deism that had crept into the church in multiple times in history. And the, the concept of deism would be the idea that God created the world, he got it spinning, and then he just said, hey, I'm gonna give it to you uh, in the world and don't break it, don't mess it up. And there have been many people historically that have held that view or, or function as functional deists, that God doesn't care anymore. He's not intimately involved. But I love this, this image in Italy of a stone quarry where they gather marble still to this day for construction projects, that this is where the marble slab that was used to create the most famous statue in the world today, the statue of David by Michelangelo. And the story goes that, that that slab was originally intended to be, be uh, by a, an artist by the name of Agostino di Duccio, that he planned to turn it into a statue of Hercules. And, and 10 years after he had this giant slab of marble, he ended up saying that it was too difficult to work with. He discarded this and ultimately it made it into Michelangelo's studio. And he began that most this, this famous sculpture chiseling away at the parts that didn't need to be there in order to see this beautiful handiwork of art. I want to encourage you, church, that that's what God's doing in our lives. When he says that he's begun a good work in us, that he'll be faithful to complete it, that he's chiseling away at those things that are not of him. It is a work in progress. I'll confess, I'm not the, the most patient person in the world. I, I want what I want when I want it, and I want it right now, Right? And there's a part of this that I look at my own life in my 40s now, and I, I have things. I've been a believer for a long time. I still have things that I look at in my own life, and I say, man, that still needs to be work on, worked on. That's, a, that's an area of deep need to grow and to be humbled in, to, to be taught in. And I'm just so grateful that it's not just my job alone to work on those things, but that the Lord has promised me that he's intimately involved in that process. We see this on behalf of a man uh, in the early church. If, if you'll follow along with me in verse 20, we, we see that, that what the Apostle Paul's going to do here is he's going to have individuals that have a plan for him. They want to redirect him into a ministry. And actually, he does this, this important thing. He says, no, not yet. It's not time. He says no to one thing, and that's a yes to another thing. It's interesting to see. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking a leave from them, he says, I will return to you if God wills. And God does will. In fact, uh, there's a powerful work that happens later. So he sets sail from Ephesus. And when he landed in Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church. This was the church in Jerusalem. And, and then he goes down to Antioch. You know that that was the sending church that sent him away on this incredible second missionary journey. And now uh, we, we get this, this image where he turns around and he heads right back into ministry. It says, after spending some time there, he departed and he went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Perga, strengthening all the disciples. These, this geographical area was a place that he was restricted from going to earlier and now God's going to use him in a mighty way in this third missionary journey. I can't help but think that one of the ways that God leads us and directs us is through challenges, through struggles, through trials, through it not always being on our agenda, our timeline. In fact, James 1, 2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Paul seems to be someone who the trials don't win, but he ends up being able to overcome them. And, and this is not a matter of if we're going to experience trials, it's just a matter of when. 
Which leads us to the third point this morning, and that is God's work in your life is a collaborative effort. I love this image of rowers rowing together. It's a beautiful image. Lauren hinted at it in her encouragement earlier. And, and here, what we want to be is people who are involved in a process together. And I think it's the way God designed for you and I to function. It says this in verse 24. Now, a man named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, a competent man in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. This is incredible. Man was talented. God had gifted him. He only knew about the gospel from the perspective of John the Baptist. Remember, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near was, was John's message. And he baptized them in anticipation of Jesus. Now Jesus has come. And what Priscilla and Aquila do, this is incredible from both sides. The apostle Paul is, uh, I'm sorry, Apollos is going to be somebody who is humble enough to receive this message. And they are humble enough to share it with him. And it's, it's awesome to see. They pull him aside and they explain to him the way of God more accurately. That message was a simple one. It was the truth that we see in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 3, 23, when he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin, the payment of sin, do you guys remember what it says? Is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Goes on to say in Romans, Romans, um, Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. And then in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. What a beautiful message, right? It's why it's called the good news. And what they did, they pulled this man aside. They said, they said, let me encourage you. This is other truth that you haven't understood. And, and what we understand is that he receives this truth. And it says in verse 27, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. And he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. You know what he just said there? Is that God's word's gonna be the highest authority, even regardless of our tradition, our history, what we've been taught, but that God's word is going to be the highest authority. And even though Apollos was a person who was speaking some truth, he now understood the full truth. And God's gonna use other people to be a part of the sanctification process. He does that in my life all the time. He uses my wife all of the time in that area. He uses friends in my life in that area to help to spur me on. That's the biblical term, to spur one another on. It's even a term called agitation, to agitate one another, to love and to good deeds. And here, this is what happens to, to, um, to Apollos. He's spurred on and he's encouraged. Church, I want to speak to you for a few minutes, though, about something that I've noticed and that is, it's important to point out that even God's most gifted leaders can get off course, and that can ultimately lead to some tragic, tragic consequences. 
in my life, there was a, a friend that I had from many years ago who was an international author. I got to meet him at the Gospel Coalition, a really special man. And I spent a significant amount of time with him, got to share meals together and loved the Lord. I read his books. They were very meaningful to me. And uh, he, and he talked to me about his family and his children. And, and at some point in his story, I don't know all of the details with it, but at some point in his story, he decided that he wanted nothing to do with that anymore. He, he publicly talked about not being a Christ follower anymore. He ended up getting divorced from his wife. He, uh, like, and, and as I hear this, like the details of this, it just ripped out my heart, broke my heart because he's a friend. I care about him. And he's a fellow minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here publicly he's saying these statements. And I, I want to encourage you for a second that, that when it comes to Christianity, there's going to be people who do this. In fact, I can think in my own life of probably five people that I've known that have been intimately involved in ministry, or I've known closely, that have fallen away, that have made decisions where they've either declared they're no longer associating with Christ or they're distancing themselves from Christianity. And the first thing that that does for me, just to be really clear, is it just breaks my heart. Just, it breaks my heart because they're talking about my father, right? My heavenly father. They're talking about something that I believe is true. I believe God holds the authority and power to judge an individual in that case that rejects the Lord. But you know what else it does? Is it allows me to find myself saying, Lord, would you continue to reveal yourself to them? That when we talk about God's grace in general, what I'm so thankful for about the truth of the gospel is we have a lifetime to respond to the truth of the gospel. There's men like C.S. Lewis and others who at one time in their history had called themselves atheists. And then later they became tools in the hand of the mighty God to, to be used to represent God's loving kindness. What grieves me is that for some of us, we, we do something that I believe Satan loves to do, is he takes the handful of people and he allows them to attempt to be someone who eclipses us from understanding literally the hundreds of faithful people who've committed themselves to serving the Lord. I, I can tell you, I could list out names of hundreds of people who've been faithful to the gospel, who graduated at the point of death and who have done such a phenomenal job representing the love of Christ. The fact that in our church's history, in our own history, we have people who haven't always done that grieves us, right? It breaks our heart, right? It discourages us. It, it makes us angry at times. And I, I want to just join you in saying, I agree with that. I understand that. I understand those emotions. But I also recognize that Satan is really good at trying to make something like that typical across the board. This is everyone feels this way. And I want to publicly just stand before you today and just reaffirm the fact that when I talk about the gospel, when I talk about God's word, that it's not just a part of my life. It's not just an aspect of my life. But to me, it's the most important thing about me. It is our commitment. As for me and my household, you know what Joshua said, right? That we will serve the Lord. And so this morning, when we see, we see Apollos' response to that confrontation was beautiful. Like he gets it. And he moves on. In fact, there's going to be others that grow and they get it. But, but I just want to remind you, when we see people who struggle or who, and so for some of us, it's family members, it's people who are precious to us. It should break our hearts, but it should never break our faith. You understand? Like when we see this, it should break our hearts, but it should never break our faith. So there's, there's this recognition that I see here that, that we're all a work in progress, that God's doing something in our lives. He holds us accountable 
And I, and I think that this leads us to what I hope to be another very helpful point, the fourth point this morning, and that is God's work in your life is through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. I was talking to David DeFelice, who works at NASA, and saying, I've never had the privilege of seeing one of the shuttles take off, uh, but I would love that. I think that'd be incredible to think of the power that's associated with a shuttle getting ready to take off into space. But to, to recognize that, that this description of God's power, the authority of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit is one of the primary ways that God works to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is no small thing. In fact, the way it's described in John, it says, it says that we ought to be people who remain in him and him in us. And if we do so, we will bear much fruit. But he says, if we do not remain in him, he says, apart from me, you can't accomplish. Do you remember what he says? Nothing. That, that abiding in Christ and allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to function in the fullness of our lives gives us the privilege of seeing God at work in us. Francis Chan, a wonderful speaker and author, wrote a book called The Forgotten God. And in that book, he challenges us to consider what it would mean for us to ignore the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's interesting, there's a group of people in Ephesus, they're, they're going to talk as if they didn't even know that the Holy Spirit existed. And at that point, uh, God was still at work in his creation and the work of the advancement of the gospel in a unique way. But, but here they say this, like, what, do, do you understand that when Jesus was on the earth, we'll read this verse in a few minutes, but when Jesus was on the earth, he said very clearly, it's going to be better for you to have the Holy Spirit in you than it is for you to have the Lord Jesus Christ sitting beside you. That's an incredible statement, isn't it? That it's going to be better for you to have the Holy Spirit in you, working in you, than it would be to have the Lord Jesus sitting beside you. We see this at the, um, in verse chapter 19, verse 1. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul pressed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. That, that question is loaded. He no doubt noticed the fact that there was something peculiar about these individuals who were associating with Christ, but had not experienced the fullness of understanding the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a, a painful statement. And, and so Jesus, Jesus is, is not just a part of their life, but now the fullness of understanding the triune God that's working on their behalf is something that's essential. It says this in John chapter 16, 5 through 11. It says, nevertheless, I tell you this truth. Jesus says this. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that word is the divine paraclete, our helpmate, he will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because of the ruler of this world is judged. We're on the winning team. And what we see here is this ongoing, chiseling away work of God in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, you and I can experience the awesome power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can experience it. It's a 
gift to us. And what we understand of God's, God's plan and salvation and history is that this provision of the Holy Spirit after the time of Pentecost is a gift to every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that we understand that he indwells in the life of a believer. But we have a choice to decide if we're going to choose to walk in the fullness of the Spirit in our lives. So here the Apostle Paul blesses these individuals with this understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit that they understood the gospel as well. And they, they're called brothers in the text. It's encouraging. And here what we see in verse 3 is this mighty description of what ended up happening. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. And now he introduces them to the gospel. And in this, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men and all. I can't imagine uh, what that moment in history would have been like, but what I can imagine is people trying to live the Christian life not recognizing that God's at work in us, right? That God's chiseling away in our lives, that he's, he's working in and through you, and we have this privilege to respond and to submit to his mighty work in our lives. I'm afraid that for many of us, this progressive process is one that we feel like it's just our responsibility to just try harder, and in a way, you could call that functional deism, that God created us and he said, good luck, go for it. I hope you can figure this out. And this message this morning, when you picture the potter molding the clay, is to remind you that it is our responsibility to be people that remain in his authority, that submit to the truth of his word and allow him to do a mighty work in our lives through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So, so if you want to look at your life and there's areas of development, growth that you need, I want to encourage you to recognize that, 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 that there's no place for the Christ follower to be a functional deist. But instead, we want to be people who recognize the mighty hand of God and his work in our life and to do what we can to create space for that to allow ourselves to sit underneath the authority of God's word. Isn't it great when we think about God's word, that it is the inspired word of God, that it was authored by the Holy Spirit, and you and I have access to the author. That's really encouraging to me. Uh, a, a second question by way of application, the first just being, are you living like a functional deist, is is this, this statement that we see with, the, the, with Apollos, that he was a man who evidenced teachability. And I just want to ask you, are you a person who is allowing yourself to be taught these days? This is one way that you do it, and I'm honored that you choose to invest this time on Sunday mornings. But, but are you choosing to sit under the authority and teaching of others, to encourage you, to challenge you, to sit under those who, who teach God's word, to challenge you and to convict you? Apollos was a man who was uniquely gifted by God, who just an addition of a few things were going to help him to be way more powerful for the kingdom. Isn't that great to see it pan out? So the question, or the thing that made that possible was that he was a man who was humble enough to be taught so the question for you is, does your life show that you're open to learn and to be taught more in your life? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. We can all be people who can continue to be taught. And then finally, the question for you is, how have spiritual disciplines helped your experience and understanding of God? 
Are there any spiritual disciplines that you've neglected that would be helpful for your ongoing relationship with God? Uh, this is a time where everything is kind of topsy-turvy. Everything's been challenged. Everything has been stretching for us. This is not the time in our lives to ignore those things that draw us closer to the Lord. It's actually times where we ought to be people who find ourselves daily dependent upon him. Just love that image of us reaching up to him as he's continually reaching down to us. And, and this evening, or this morning, I want to ask you to, to join me in prayer as we ask the Lord to search our hearts and that as we ask him to continue to reveal himself to us in a mighty way, in a personal way, in a spirit-filled way to allow us to submit to the truth of a God who wants to not only begin a good work in our lives, but to continue to fulfill it on, on his behalf. Lord, I love you and we just thank you and praise you for this morning. And I just thank you for the fact that uh, that this this thing that we do as we sit at your feet is, is more important than the football game this afternoon is more important than, than so many other things that, that get our attention. And, and this morning, I just want to celebrate the fact that you're good, that you love us, that you know our needs, that you haven't neglected us, that you tell us things in your word, like you discipline those whom you love. And I just want to pray right now for those of us who are Christ followers that that recognize today that we need to continually uh, be worked on, that we need to continually submit to your will, that we need to choose to allow you to continue to do a mighty work in our lives, that we need to have ears to listen. We need to place ourselves in a position where others can continue to invest in our lives. Lord, would we do that again? Lord, would we be people who are humble, that are teachable, and that we allow you to continue to have your mighty work on our behalf to work in and through our lives. I also want to pray for those today that are here that, that as I talk about the simple truths of the gospel, that, that you are a God who loves your creation so much that you know our sin. You're not fooled by it, Lord, that your awareness of our sin is so real and so true and yet, Lord, that you, you recognize that our sin separates us from us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Lord, we thank you as well that you made a provision for that sin. When you say for the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That you demonstrate your own love for us that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. Lord, that's the perfect sacrifice for our sins. I recognize that in this room, there are some individuals maybe that, that haven't gone through that process of doing what you say in Romans 10, 9, and 10, to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that you raised us from the dead. And I pray right now for those individuals that they feel like they are a slave to sin, that they wonder if you are at work in their lives. We accept that there's a set of promises that are to a believer that says that we are no longer a slave to sin, that you've, you've removed those shackles from us, that we do not have to return to sin in our lives perpetually. But for those who are not believers, I don't believe that promise is the same for them. I believe that for them, that they are continually stuck in a cycle of things that steal and kill and devour. And I pray that today, through the work that only you can do, that you would allow them to recognize not only your handiwork, but to recognize that your handiwork was done on their behalf. 
And that today would be a day when they would choose to stand back and to say, Lord, I want to place my faith and trust in you. Lord, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that there are things in my life that go against your perfect plan for me, that I've allowed the deceiver too long to steal, to kill, and to devour. But today, on this day, I want to obey and follow your leadership in my life and to understand the work of Jesus Christ on the cross on my behalf. And Lord, we thank you that you tell us in your word that for those who have been set free, that they are free indeed. So we glorify that. We glorify you. We ask that you would continue to do your mighty work on our behalf in our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.